0: Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us with unveiled faces, Seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, of being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. But we have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. This is the word of the Lord. Please welcome our past
1: study and great. Yeah. Well, good morning guys. During this preview service rhythm, we've been meeting a little bit close to bi-weekly, although it hasn't always worked out that way. And today's the last day in this series that we've been sort of doing in this are you sure thing. and I'm not sure this music stand is going to stand up. It is. Alright, beautiful. And so through this series, we've been asking. Of the most profound questions about what it means to be human. And so, Gabrielle, you can put those on the screen. Just every philosophy, every system that is designed to answer the big questions about life is really asking these three questions Who am I? Who is God? And what is the good life? And we've approached these questions just tackling different uh, misconceptions that can hold powerful sway. Uh, You know, when we read the Bible. So I encourage you, if you want to check out some more in this series, we have those available online to listen to. Uh, But really, it's been sort of a joy as we sort of move through this rhythm. Because what I've seen as we've gone through this series is that so many of these topics that we've just been able to hit on are really just glimpses of sermon series and stuff that our community is going to be wrestling with the life that we that we live together. And so today is no exception. Um, as I was working on the sermon, I was like, oh, cool, this is about six sermons. So we're going to do it in one day, we're not going to co- try to combine six things into one day, but we're going to uh, really just scratch the surface. And, and the question we're wrestling with today, and the misconception that we want to tackle today,
0: is can people change?
1: Now, how many of you, you know that person in your life? That has reached that point where you look at them and say, "I'm not sure they're going to change in any meaningful way. Uh, maybe their opinions are settled. They have their views on politics that they are carefully and carefully shared around the dinner table. So graciously, I'm sure. Uh, maybe it's it's somebody not uh, not not as close to you that you see and it's like you know." Person, I'm not
0: sure how that's going to work out for them. And so
1: we tend to put people in boxes and we tend to to start to look at other people from our own point of view and say, I'm not sure that person is going to change. And so I want to ask you a question this morning. In your life, what is one thing, if it would change, would change everything for you? One thing. One thing, maybe even outside of your control, that one big break, that degree, that relationship, the sale, the relationship being healed. What? What one thing would truly change the course of your life? You know, so often we we know the things ache for those places where you just want to see God move and God show up. Or we want to see somebody make a different decision to, to start embracing a different pattern that they've been living in. And so change is something that we all just kind of feel a pull. And so today we want to look at change. We want to look at the way that God so patiently and gracefully works change in our lives. And we want to see. Change is really possible So we're going to start uh, with a the, with the character from the Bible His name is Moses If you spent any time in Sunday school You may be familiar with this name And if not, it's okay We're going to tell you a little bit about, about his life this one. So Moses was a great biblical prophet and the classic case of somebody who peaked too soon in life A child star who flamed out under the weight of success and expectation Moses was from a nation of people who were enslaved His people, uh, over the course of many generations, had become a labor force for the Egyptians. Moses was from the nation uh, of the Hebrew people. And during the course of their time living in Egypt, they had become sort of a faceless machine uh, serving the gross domestic product of the Egyptian empire. Now, Moses had an interesting line, though. See, Moses was from this people, but he did not grow up amongst his people. Instead, Moses was found one day by the Egyptian princess, pulled out of the water, and raised in the palace. So Moses was a part of this oppressed people, but he did not live among them. Instead, he was raised by the Egyptian culture, raised by the Egyptian ways. And one day, as Moses had grown older, he was out surveying the work that was going on. He was out watching his own people, his own people that he had been taken from, work the fields, work the land to build structures to make sure there was enough harvest for the Egyptian people. And as he's out this one day, he sees. He sees the way that the Egyptians are treating his fellow people. He sees that the Hebrew people have become the gears of industry, soullessly turning to support the empire, and that the empire of the Egyptians used whips and threats and humiliation as fuel. And Moses sees all this, and he loses it. He is outraged by what he sees, as he sees an Egyptian slave master mercilessly whipping one of his fellow Hebrew people. And Moses decides to do something about it. And, and sensed by anger, he grabs hold of this slave master and he murders him. You see, Moses could have been like Esther. He could have worked from within the, the, the system and the politics that were going on within the palace for the good of his people. But Moses takes matters into his own hands. And he lays hands on this Egyptian slave master and kills him. And what Moses thought he had done in secret what he, what he thought he'd done where nobody had seen, it turns out that his secret is well known in the empire, and so soon Moses has to flee, because he is a wanted man.
0: And so Moses runs.
1: He flees far from the palace, far from his people, to a barren place called Midian. And now we fast forward in his story, from this point where Moses has run away 40 most of us in here are not even forty years old. We don't have any concept of that amount of time. Forty years have gone by. Moses has accepted his new life. He has settled down and married. He works a job as a shepherd, tending a flock in a barren land. And every day, Moses does the slow work of shepherding. Alone with his thoughts. You know, he didn't have Spotify. Couldn't turn on his favorite podcast left alone with his sons. I wonder what he thought about. Do you think he thought about his mother? That he had to leave? Do you think that he, he, he had any guilt for killing the man? Do you think he was sort of, you know, you know how when something happens in our life, we spin those wheels of self-justification? It was like, no, I, that person deserved that. I know why he did that. Do you think he kind of went through that machination? Do you think he thought about the God of his people? You see, in this day, gods were often localized, and so... Moses being removed from the Hebrew people also means he's probably removed from the God of his people. And every day, this is Moses' life. Same vista, same perspective, leading a stubborn and needy flock for 40 years. Now, earlier I asked you if you've met that person in your life and you think that just may not change, at least from your perspective, right? Uh, Their life experiences, their perspectives on the world, their tastes are like dried concrete, right? And this is a good thing too, it's not just a bad thing. Uh, you know, I think sometimes our, our culture is, it, it spins so quickly, and that things happen so fast that we sort of miss the days when it's just like kind of having a, a very defined uh, perspective. But it would be at least a little surprising for your 80-year-old grandmother to ask you if you've heard the new look, 2 Chainz track like That would, that would be strange. Right? Or if you, liked, if, you, if you liked and commented on our Instagram post. Like, again, it's not that it doesn't happen. You would just be like, oh, this, is, this seems backward. This seems weird. And, and if we're honest, for most people in our lives that sort of fit this category, it would, be, it would be a little strange if that person said to you, you know, I've given this a lot of careful thought and I have changed my mind. Now, picture Moses. Probably somewhere at this point in age, in like his 60s or his 70s, he's a strong and fit man for his age because of his Mediterranean diet and giving in his 10,000 steps a day. So he take taking care of himself well. But Moses, like many in their advanced years, he's not expecting something radical to happen in his life. He's not holding out hope for a different tomorrow. Rather, Moses has accepted his place in life. There's a dignity and a serenity that comes when you begin to accept reality for as it is. Moses has made his peace with the landscape that he sees every day. He's made his peace with the stinking sheep. He even enjoys it. He's got names for it. He's pleased with his wife. He has children. He's grateful for that. And sure, there's this whole other life that he's left behind, all these what-ifs. But those questions are not his to answer or so It would seem. Because on a particular day, a day just like any other day, a day that so many of us have lived, Moses is walking his sheep, he's walking his flock through the same landscape, the same wilderness that he tends every day. But he sees something there is a fire raging, a bush is burning. But with the heat and the intensity of the fire The bush should be crumbling Under the weight of the flames And yet it stands there tall and strong For Moses This is at least something different Right? He's like, okay, cool Burning bush I don't see that every day I I'll want to go see this thing And so he walks over there And as he gets a little closer To investigate, as he draws close He hears a voice Moses Moses, Charlton has the voice, you can put that in there. Moses, startled, responds, Here I am. And the voice commands him, Take off your shoes, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And the voice speaks again. The voice says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The voice spoken that calls Moses out by name is revealed to be none other than the very voice of God. But notice how intensely personal this address is. First, God gives his attention. God is burning in a bush. Then he says his name. He says Moses. Then he says, I am the God of your Father, the God of your people. God instantly makes it known how intimately familiar with Moses Life that he is, he calls him out by name. He says, "I am the God that maybe you left behind." Moses, shepherding in the wilderness for forty years, must have considered himself long forgotten by this God. It's even likely that Moses had taken on new gods, and Moses had been in a foreign land amongst foreign people with his new gods praying to those new gods for good pasture and flock and help for his children. And yet, in this moment, God speaks to him personally. And he says, Moses, I remember you. Forty years have gone by. There are people back in your homeland who don't even know who you are, but I am the God of your father. I remember you, Moses. And Ecclesia, that personal address literally changes the course of the world. Friends, I don't know how many of you today feel forgotten by God. You feel like God has left you a long time ago. Would you hear him today speak your name? He is calling out to you. He calls out to Moses from the bleakness of the wilderness. Moses, Moses. Moses was a murderer. He worshiped other gods, and yet God shows up for him. Perhaps he would show up for you. For Moses, this conversation changes everything. Moses asked the question of God, who shall I say has sent me? Because God is sending Moses on a mission. When God calls out to Moses, he says, I'm going to send you back to your people, your people that have been oppressed in slavery for generations. I'm going to send you back and you are going to lead a liberation movement. Moses asked the question, who shall I say has sent me? And God responds, I am who I am. I don't miss this, Ecclesia. For the last 40 years in Moses' life, it has been, it is what it is. You ever heard anybody say that? It is what it is. That's like, I think that's a polite way of telling you to shut up, right? It's like, okay, we can't, I guess, that's no more conversation. It is what it is, but in this moment, it is what it is, Is confronted with I am who I am. A very simple formula. I'm no math scholar. But I am who I am. It's greater than it is what it is. I am is about new possibility. Is about new things happening. Change is possible because I am is present here amongst us. Guys, there are many places in your life where it just might be it is what it is. But in some of those places, God is saying, I am. I am here to make newness possible. I am here to bring new life to your family. I am here to bring new life to your uh, walk with God. And friends, as a church right here in the middle of Princeton, we believe that God has newness for this community. Newness for the people that are our neighbors. Newness for the people that we walk amongst every day. I am is greater than it is what it is. And now, maybe you are like me. I, I would That Moses spoke to God audibly in a burning bush, I bet he was the most faithful, obedient guy ever after that, right? You know, we talked about this last time, but like, what would it take for you to just believe that God is real? Like, a burning bush speaking to me, calling me out by name? That's pretty good on the list, right?
0: And if God would just
1: speak to us, if he would just crack the skies and say, hello, I'm God believe in me, follow me, like, would that sustain you for the rest of your life? You'd be like, you know, I really, I really don't think God's going to show up on this one, but, oh, I do remember that one time that he showed up in the clouds and said my name, yeah, oh, yeah, okay, we'll do that, right? Maybe that's just me, but in Exodus chapter 4, like, literally a paragraph later, Moses is like, well, suppose they don't believe me or listen to me, and in verse 10, he finds another excuse, oh, Lord talk very well. People don't, they won't listen to me. I'm slow in speech. And God's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I made you. I got it. I know who I'm dealing with here. Remember I called your name out after not nobody's seen you for like 40 years and I'm saying hey Moses, I'm God. And a quick survey of Moses the rest of his life show that he kind of keeps this pattern but And so what does this tell us about change? What does this tell us about when God is doing something new First, change Any meaningful change In our life, any reorienting Of our walk towards God Is first in response It is God's grace that calls out To us, God calls Moses By name, but second And friends, some of you have been walking With the Lord, you've been walking with Jesus You've been trying to follow him for a long time You feel this deeply, even when God calls you out by name Even when you say, I'm going to follow you i trust You." Even in that moment, you find a change, real transformation towards holiness and peace and joy and courageous faith, love for God, love for neighbor, is a long, arduous, and slow process. And this is the way the Lord works. You know, we sing a Hillsong song that says, you could, um, you know, let me get this right, um, you could have saved us in a second, but instead you sent a child. And this is the way the Lord works, working slowly in our midst, not co-opting, not taking over, not domineering, but saying, I'm going to work with what I have here. Eugene Peterson calls our journey of transformation and long obedience in the same direction. And friends, this is what God is inviting us to. Yes, in that moment for Moses, everything was made new. But that moment was just the beginning of a journey. God is inviting Moses, not just to accomplish great things for him. Moses does that. God is inviting Moses to be with him, to be near to him. And the reality for many of us here today is that we feel this pull, this ache, this longing for change. We know we want it, we know we need it, but we really don't know how to begin. Like if I were to ask you, hey guys, how can I lose some weight? You guys have any answers? That's not, I'm not, that's not a true question. Eat less. Amen. Work out? No. Anything else? <laughs> Don't eat Oreos? Also, no. No, stop. But we know, like, if there's change that needs to happen, I know what it is, right? Now, if I had to ask you, what would it look like for you to get closer to God, what would you do? You could give me a couple Sunday school answers. Read your Bible and pray. How do you read the Bible? Anybody ever had that moment where you're in the middle of Leviticus and you're like, what is happening here? Oh my goodness. And even Jesus sometimes, you read the words that he says and you're like, oh, I I thought he was different than that. So how do we read the Bible? Anybody tried to pray and woke up the next day and said amen, right? Praying was hard, right? And so change, the real lasting and meaningful change, the apprenticeship towards Jesus that we are trying to embark upon, the long obedience in the same direction is not this one-off moment where we say, everything is different now. Because then we wake up the next day, you're like, the same as I did two days ago. But it's Jesus leading us, constantly coming to us. Friends, you are being invited on a journey of change. You're being invited to draw closer to God. You're being invited to love others well, to find contentment in both your gifts and your limits. And that through this journey you're being invited upon, you will bless the wider world around you. You will bless your family. You will bless your neighbors. You will bless your city. But that journey, that invitation is going to take you a lifetime. Paul the Apostle in our our text that Alex read so beautifully for us, in 2 Corinthians Paul's no stranger to transformation. He went from being a person who persecuted the church to a person who built the church. Paul has had a radical transformation, but even that takes years and years for Paul to to fully uh, embody and fully implement. And 2 Corinthians, he writes, and he's writing about Moses, and he writes, But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord, though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17, he says that we see the glory of God. That yeah? is not the glory of God. Make that glory. And as we behold Jesus on the cross, we behold the glory of God. You see, Paul says here in 2 Corinthians that as we look, at the, we look at that glory, the glory of God, as though we look in a mirror. Now, I have not a mirror, but the mirror of our society here. Now, if I hold this up close here, what do I see? It's kind of scary. All I see is my face, right? But if I pull it back, I can see you lovely people. It gets better. You guys look nice to me. And depending on your vantage point, when you are looking in a mirror, you can either see one thing at once, you can see only one thing if you hold the mirror closely, as I did, or you can see multiple things at once. Paul is saying that we gaze upon the glory of God re- reflected in the mirror of our lives. And when we look at Jesus through the mirror of the cross, we see simultaneously two things. We see two images reflected back to us. First, we see, we see our brokenness. Again, when I hold this up close to here, I don't know about you guys, some of you have just really perfect skin. I see all the flaws. I see all the places I miss shaving. But when you hold the mirror, when you hold the mirror up close, we see our brokenness. We see our pursuit of control. We see our pursuit of security. We, We see that we think that freedom is really a pursuit of the glory that our world offers. And when we think about glory. What, what's glorious in our world? What What is the thing that people hunger after in our society? Well, I mean, obviously, success, right? We want to be secure. We want to be well thought of. We think of the person, the, the beautifully, uh, impeccably dressed Instagram mom, with the she's able to run a full business, able to um, live her life. However, she wants. She has kids that are always uh, perfectly dressed, never have snotty noses, has a perfect husband, perfect life, right? A huge Instagram following. The person who has the means, the time, and the ability to do whatever they want. Traveling to exotic locations, always taking a picture of it, because that's important. Another exciting adventure, another escape. Glory in our world is anything but average, anything but routine, anything but mundane. And much less self-sacrificing. And this is where Jesus turns the whole thing. Our world, our whole perception of what it means to, to find glory upside down. You see, Jesus rids himself of all glory, of all beauty. He dies on the cross, though he is king of all the earth. He is executed as a despised criminal. And it's exactly there in that place of horror that God is shining forth in his glory. It's exactly there that we see that the glory of God is not flash and awe. Not God sitting on a giant throne throwing lightning bolts and showing us how big he is. But it's God laying down his life for all the world. And if we see God's glory in that mirror, in that do we see two things simultaneously. We see the weight of our own sin. We see the weight of our own decisions, our own choosing things that aren't God. But we also see, we see the beginning of something. A spark of new life, a glimpse of a new world where change doesn't evade us like a mirage. Like When we draw close and think we're getting there, it evades us, but it embraces us. We see the world tilting on its axis towards new creation, towards new life. And it is the death, the life, and the resurrection of Jesus that makes any meaningful change for us possible. Jesus is not only our pattern. He's not some nice example that we follow. Yes and Amen. But he's more than that. You see, Paul says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Jesus is not just a good example, but he brings power, the freedom to actually grow, to actually change and transform. And in Exodus 3, God calls out to Moses, this was the beginning of freedom for Moses. But it was also the beginning of freedom for the entire nation. And on the cross, God calls out to the whole world, saying, Here it is, all of it, all of your sin and your shame, I take upon my own shoulders. And the glory of God is that in dying to himself, God puts to death death, God condemns condemnation, He shames shame, He nails it all to a cross and makes a spectacle over it. God says, My glory is that I love you so much that I will take all of that stuff when you hold up a mirror and you only see yourself, I will take all of that upon myself. Move the mirror and see that your life is not just your own. Your life has been bought with a beautiful price that Jesus is extending his arms on the cross to the whole world and, embrace and saying, come near. Just as he says to Moses, Moses, Moses. He's calling out to us. And Paul says in this passage that we read, he says as we behold that beauty, as we see that that Jesus on the cross is for us, we find ourselves immersed in it. That we are freed, we are changed, and we are invited on a journey. A new journey that, just like Moses, will involve a lot of wilderness wandering. Will involve a lot of steps forward and steps back. But God is so gracious and so faithful that He will meet us every step of the way, and He will be working in His slow and beautiful power to make us new. And, Elisha, friends, we are just trying to embrace this journey as a church community, as a people planted in this ground, this journey of spiritual formation, of apprenticeship to Jesus. And Jesus says to take this journey is to follow Him, to remain near to Him, to die to ourselves daily, to do as He does. And as a church, friends, we believe the way that the way that Pope Francis put it so beautifully, that Jesus came to save us from a lie that people can't change. Will you walk out of here differently than you walked in? I hope so. Will it mean that you have a whole new lens for your world every moment of your life? I don't know. But I do know that Jesus will be meeting you, that he's calling you to take upon his life, to, to live uh, your life in community of people following after Jesus. And So, as a church... As we start to meet weekly in just a couple weeks, this is the journey that we're on. We're going to throw a big party because we think that's what God really likes and enjoys. But we're also going to embrace the slow rhythms of, of meeting God in the moments of our everyday lives, in the moments of the routine, in the moments of the mundane. Jesus Christ, we see our own uh, our own mundane life, our own world, the dusty streets that he walked, inhabited by the power and the glory of God. And Paul will finish this extended section with a flourish that I just want to read over you as we move toward the table. For the love of Christ urges us on, this is 2 Corinthians, because we are convinced that one has died for all, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer that way. So if anyone is in Christ Jesus, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. Friends, God is inviting you to become who you were made to be. And as we look at Jesus on the cross, we see that the first step is to see the beauty of God giving himself for you. Just as he calls out to Moses in the wilderness, he calls out to you. He calls you by name. He says, I have forgotten you. See that your glory is found in what I have done for you. And he promises in that, in us beholding that, we, we will be free we will be transformed we will change to be like his beauty
0: and his glory thank you for listening to our podcast for more information please visit www.ecclesia